Welcome to The Natural You. This is number four in the highlights from season one and two. This week is an animal theme. We've got two nature conservationists and a veterinary student. We'll be kicking off with Charles Hall talking about rare breed antelope in Southern Africa and the paradox between hunting and conservation. Following that, we'll have Ross Wanless, who is an expert in um, seabirds and fisheries and how his work has helped save hundreds of thousands of birds like albatross. Then we'll finish off with um, Robin, who is a veterinary student, and she's going to talk about her connection to animals and how she finds balance in her life. The species that we refer to uh, as high value species are basically animals that, that have a high value when it comes to, to selling them. Um, and they have an, a high value because of their scarcity factor. So they aren't as scarce as they used to be because of the various breeding programs throughout South Africa. Um, but the species we generally speak about are, are sable antelope, roan antelope, and the cape buffalo. So those are the three that we, that we deal with. There are others like uh, rhino, um, sesame, we have a few sesame as well, but we basically breed them um, to increase numbers. Uh, and then once we have enough to sell, they're actually used to repopulate areas where they once run. And also to repopulate game reserves uh, where, they're not, where they didn't necessarily roam, but where, they, where the, the owners of the reserves would, would love to have them. These three species are quite popular and, and basically the, the price is pretty much being determined by what the hunting uh, value is. Uh, whereas in the past, the value was determined by scarcity and female animals were just hugely mm. lucrative. Whereas now the male animals are more lucrative because of the, they are more sought after in, in the hunting uh, in the hunting, hunting industry. In that, and is that for so more the, the, the trophies and the horns? Yeah, and that's, that's where the value lies. I wouldn't be hesitant at all to say that, that an animal that gets hunted in its natural setting, in most cases, dies quickly, uh, suffers less than an animal that gets transported to an abattoir and has to go through all that stress before it dies to, to fill our tummies, you know. So yeah, um, people don't always think of that. Um, I also think that, that a lot of the younger generation don't understand uh, hunting. And, and how critical it is to, to manage populations and how critical it is to, to add value. Because unfortunately, whether we like it or not, if, if a species has no value, it's not going to survive. It, it will fall by, fall by the wayside. Um, and that's the, the beginning and the end of it all. So if it has no value, it's if it has no monetary value, it's not valued. Exactly. You know? And and we see that we see that, you know, right across ecological arguments. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, how much how much is clean air worth? You know, how much is a unpolluted river worth? Um there's no monetary value attached to it. At least here we can say, hey, this animal is worth X amount and so it's it's quite tangible to people. I wasn't a big hunter. And I, I would say, still, I'm not a big hunter. I'm a conservationist, and I, I, was, I was forced to understand that hunting forms a critical part in, in game management in Africa and in the rest of the world. But where this, the secret lies for, for mankind in general 
is education. And I think I'm starting to appreciate that more and more. And I'm becoming more and more involved in actually educating not only the younger generation, mainly the younger generation, but also some older folk, you know. We need to show that we care. So what I mean by that is environmentally, and we need to show that we care for each other. And the, the easiest and the quickest way to do that is to actually is to teach people how to care for the environment. And then a natural flow from that is, is how to care for each other. Wow, that's that's beautiful. So so by caring for the environment, it's a natural the natural thing that flows from that is to care for each other. Yeah. There is no ways that we'll we're really gonna care for each other if we don't care for our natural environment. Because if we don't have that, everyone is gonna be running around in circles just trying to survive in a hundred years' time. We care for each other by caring for the environment. I just always loved nature. Um, right from the get-go, as a kid, I was always fascinated by it. I did this weird thing, started watching birds, and no one else in my family knew what I was doing or why. But I just had this innate need to see these things, to appreciate them, to try and like record, have I seen that before? And that's, and that's sort of played out throughout my life, is this deep connection that I have with nature and, and wanting to understand it. Um, and that combined with my, I, I guess, natural curiosity really just loved learning about nature how it works how it all fits together like uh, why do certain things happen and, and not in another way it turned out that there were tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of albatrosses being killed in these fisheries around the world so that was my entry into fisheries and seabirds as i said earlier i was interested in birds and this was suddenly like oh, wow, there's this whole world out there. The high seas, it's huge. The high seas. The animals are wild. Then, no, the boats, that's also pretty wild. So it was, you know, it was just, I can't believe this world exists. So I suddenly found a way into this world, and it, it bit. And I, I have never looked back. Since then, I've been seabirds and bycatch and fisheries, and this is where... I mean, these are amazing animals that we're talking about. The fish, the fish that people are catching are equally amazing. They're just they're they're astonishing, um, and and I love fish, and I and, and I don't mind eating fish. And it uh, it saddens me to see the way fisheries are mismanaged and allowed to collapse. And I don't want that because actually fish are super healthy. You know, all those omegas, um, uh, they're they're incredibly robust systems. Um, that can can withstand incredible pressure and still bounce back. So they're, they're really ideal for sustainability. Um, and health-wise, there's very little better than um, a, a healthy fish. How do you keep, um, like, your positivity? Oh, you're positive. How do you just, like, not just go, crumbs, how are we ever going to make an impact? Well, it, I mean, if you, if you have an attitude like that, you're never going to last in this game. The only way to last in this game is to to be there and to recognize that um, these are the rules. And if you don't like the rules, you can try and change them. But railing against them is not going to help. It's not going to get you anywhere. There will not be progress. And so if you want progress, you've got two choices. You can change the rules and you can work within them. And so that's what I do. I work within them and I accept that it's difficult. It's hard. The bar that is set for achieving change is incredibly high, and yet we do that. So I have devoted my career to meeting that bar um, and driving change, despite the incredible obstacles we have. 
it turns out they were killing tens of thousands of birds, tens of thousands of birds every year, just in South Africa. Um, but through, again, through that process of onboard work, working with the industry, not setting yourself up in opposition to them, but saying, saying hey, look, this is a problem. Like, you can't be killing 10, 20,000 albatrosses a year and say you don't have a problem. So, but we want to work with you. We want to try and find solutions. And we were able to do that in the albatross task very effectively. And that trawfish, for example, um, we published a paper in 2014, which showed that actually there was incredibly widespread adoption of the, the, the mitigation measures that we were promoting. And essentially it reduced the, the annual catch of birds from 10,000 birds a year to fewer than 100. So we had a 99% reduction wow. in the bycatch. It basically ended it. You're a super happy guy, but are you are you hopeful? You're hopeful. Because sometimes I just look at it and I go, it's all going to fucking hell in a handbasket. <laughs> <laughs> it's, going, it's going tits up and there's nothing we can do. So just yeah. bugger it all and just carry on. Uh, but, but, no, there's, you know, there's it, definitely no, none of that in me. I mean, I, I do get frustrated and I, and I do get sad when I see things do fall apart. But there's, it's never too late. There's always a reason to be there. And one of the lessons that I've learned, one of the, the truths that I've, I've intuited is if you're not in the game, if you are not there holding the line, you're guaranteed there will be no progress. You're guaranteed things will be worse. So even if your presence here is just maintaining the status quo as terrible as it may be, at least it's not worse, which it would be if you weren't there. So a very powerful lesson is being in the game is in itself and in its own right an important thing. You've got to be there. It was an eco school. We um, did lots of things in nature. We our school was well, its second location after moving from a house to an actual more formal setting was next to a wetland. Um, oh wow! And so we, for as long as I could remember, every year, maybe more than once a year, we would clean up the wetland um, and. I remember there was just a, a bath, a random bathtub in the wetland. And we weren't too sure whether to take it out or leave it because there was actually a whole new habitat growing inside that bath. Um, I can't remember what we actually did with it. But, yeah, so we would clean up the wetland, um, take all the rubbish out, and then remove all any alien plants, um, so we would do that because, I mean, it was on our doorstep. We did beach cleanups all the time. So we were outdoors a lot. The only times we were indoors was actually for class. Um, and so that sounds like a real uh, a, a responsibility and a stewardship of nature, yeah. you know, taking yeah. really interactive and cleaning up mess and taking out the alien species and just engaging and, and in a in a very protective yeah. way, which sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah, and it was really educational as well because I feel like a lot of people now that I'm meeting, they actually aren't even aware that you get alien plants or, I mean, obviously everyone knows about litter, um, but, yeah, we, we were educated from quite a young age on things that are now just general knowledge to us. And now that you're on the on the sort of the veterinary school campus, I'm sh there's obviously lots more space, and I'm presuming animals and uh, and other kind of 
livestock and things like that. And and what what's so different about that now? Um, the biggest thing for me is having grass under my feet that I can go walk barefoot. Um, and then obviously we have the animals. We've got horses, which is obviously my passion. Um, but then we've got cows, we've got sheep, we have pigs, goats, um, we've got beagles, all sorts of um, animals. And you can you can go to them whenever and you can have that touch with them, which is what I love, and to just be quiet together. But so much is said between that. Um, yeah, I think that, that would be my favorite thing. One of my core values in life is just balance in, in every regard with regards to what I eat, um, how much I work, how much I don't work, how much time I spend outdoors, indoors, sleeping, all of that. Everything is just about balance for me. So that that's what I do. I make sure I have time for work and to learn, to be intellectual. Um, and then I also make time to be outdoors. And then sometimes I can do them both. Like I have a study group where we've now um, changed locations from being inside our rooms to being outdoors where we can hear the birds, be able to sit on the grass. And that's, it's, it's a really nice setting. And I wonder, I think I've, I've, I've read that that can be that kind of extra stimulation can obviously calm the nervous system, and in a yeah. in that more parasympathetic state, we can perhaps absorb more information. So really enhancing that that learning. Yeah, no, I've definitely felt a difference just to to be able to absorb information for longer periods of time, um, and to just be more at peace with what you're doing. Yeah, and and many breaks. You know, when we learn something, we take a short little break. Actually, the, from what I understand now, the, the neuroscience is saying that actually helps embed the knowledge. Um, so you, you learn this thing, you take like, even if it's, you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds to listen to the birds, yeah. there's a there's a, a focus away from, from the actual material. And in that time of doing nothing, let's say, um, there's a, allowing the brain to actually process and embed that information. Yeah, no, definitely. What, in your opinion, is something that is considered normal in italics, um, but that is not healthy or congruent with natural health? What's something perhaps you or your friends would engage with as a normal activity? So for, for some of my friends, it might be, oh, having, having a glass of wine every night is totally normal or half one. And, and we know that, yeah. that certainly might be normal, but it's definitely not healthy. Um, what is anything that that when I say those those words grab you? Um, so I don't personally do it because I I know how how it doesn't benefit myself. But for me, especially being living with students, is just how quickly when you're running out of time in your day, people will drop their hours of sleep. Mm. Um, I cannot, I do not thrive on anything less than seven and a half hours. So I get my seven and a half, eight hours almost every night. And I believe that's why I'm able to function and to just get through my studies. I just see people pulling all nighters, getting two hours of sleep. And I, and I can see, I can literally see the effects it has on them. 
So the, the natural state is it has to have good duration and quality of sleep. Thanks for listening. That was number four in the highlights from seasons one and two. If you want to listen to the full episodes of either Charles, Ross or Robin, their uh, links are in the show notes. In the next episode, we'll have another three guests sharing their passion and insight into what connects them to nature.